You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Nathan Hawks. He's talking to me from Chicago. Nathan, thanks so much for being with me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Nathan, I know we're going to talk about your your book, Nest in Air, that just came out this past August, uh, but I, I also feel like I should ask, how the last year was in in Chicago. We're all operating under like different different creative you know framework now in the pandemic. Um, yeah, how, how was the last year? And uh, and if and if it relates, how how does that relate to nests in air in terms of working or or content? Well, I I mean I I can't speak for everyone in Chicago because it's it's been awful in some places and okay in other places and some parts of the city you hardly you'd hardly know that the pandemic had things shut down i think you know this summer i was stunned by how quickly things started to burst back to life and reopen uh but i actually liked the last year i was i was i was uh fortunate to you know be able to teach from home i've been teaching a lot the last few years uh juggling a few different jobs and so uh actually just staying home and teaching online was 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 uh, great. Cutting down on my commute time quite a bit. Um, so reopening's been kind of weird, and it's like uh, you know Chicago's kind of a big sprawling chaotic city. So having to figure out how to plan commute times and all that again has been a little a little stressful. In in terms of writing, um, Nest in Air, I don't know when that, that manuscript began, uh, maybe before the pandemic, but, but how was that affected by the last year? Uh, yeah, the Nest in Air really, really dates from, oh, mostly 2013 to 16 and, and more or less that area. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's kind of, it's, I mean, I feel like it's hyper-relevant because, uh, part of what's going on, I think, in that book is is a, a working through of, of the stresses of home life and the, the compression one might feel in uh, in that space. So, uh, <laughs> so the pandemic definitely uh, put even more compression into that space. I mean, I have a couple younger children, and uh, you know, we felt uh, we felt ourselves swirling around our nest. That's for sure. Well, now that makes it more clear. You have a few children and you're swirling around the nest there. That that does make the <laughs> pandemic a different experience as a parent of young children. It's a, it's a whole different experience, right, as, as opposed to being – I mean, I've talked to a lot of people and asked them about it. Some poets, writers felt, you know, lonely who were alone. Some um, got a lot of work done. But having a having a family uh, is a, is a completely different experience because it's a different educational experience for the kids and, and everything else. So nest, uh, as you say, swirling around the nest has a different meaning. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it had its you know, I mean, it had its it had its bright spots, right? We had we had a lot of uh, a lot of close time together, <laughs> but it definitely felt like. Uh, you know that coupled with moving to teaching online, which was sort of like relearning, you know, relearning how to how to do everything basically, um, made it feel like it was a constant, uh, constant go go go. You know, at least for the first few months, it was just sort of, yeah, spinning and spinning. 
Right. And, and so let's talk about just the term um, a verbal nest. I mean, you're talking about a swirling nest, and I'm going to ask you to read from Nest in Air. Uh, but I love the idea of uh, a poem is a, is a verbal nest. Can you talk a little bit about that, what, what that means to you? Because that sounds like that's your terminology. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, I tend to write my work from the ground up. I write a lot, and then I and then I sort of say what's going on here. And I write in a slightly surrealist manner, such that a lot of times folks don't really know what to say about my work. So over time, one of the strategies I've developed to kind of deal with that is to kind of repeat the same thing over and over again. And for whatever reason, as I was re- working on these poems. Uh, that motif in the nest started coming up over and over again. And I, and I started to think about, you know, what that had to do with poetry writing. And uh, I, I think of it in a few different ways. On, on the one hand, you know, the, the, the process through which many birds build nests is, is just wonderful. They, 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 they kind of scavenge for uh, a variety of materials. You'll find that you know, some of the, the most surprising uh, things in their nest, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, human waste uh, products, plastic, strings, things like that. Um, but I guess mostly I was just sort of um, carried away by that idea of sort of going out and finding a bunch of pieces and then whirling them together uh, in some manner. Uh, 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 that, that felt to me very much like the way I write poems. My poems... Uh, borrow scraps from other poets and things I'm reading. They're sort of sometimes half composed of a line I thought of on the train and came back to a year later or whatever. They have this kind of uh, 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 wandering existence and collective collecting existence, you know, in, in the way they come come to be. So that was kind of where that idea came from. Um, I think it's I think it's worth wondering, you know what we do inside that, uh, inside that kind of poetry nest. Uh, do, do, do we incubate anything? Um, is it just a little quaint structure uh, left there for the breeze to carry off eventually or whatnot? Uh, but, I, but I feel like that's a, a kind of ripe way to, to think about the act of poetry writing and, and reading. I like that. So let's, let's hear one of the poems. And, and congratulations on getting this book out. Um, which there'll be links here so that so that listeners can can find um but yeah what is the first poem you're you're reading well i think i think i'll start with uh, a poem called a paper father's nest uh which is one of the earlier ones i wrote i feel like kind of sets the sets the stage in some ways a paper father's nest <clears throat> what if i were a father and all my children were vomiting paper, would I write a poem on their paper? Or would I take them in for an x-ray? And would the doctors suspect me of negligence? Would they call child services? Would I need to kill the doctor to save my children? Would I have to torch the hospital and kidnap the nurses? What if the children liked their vomit paper? What if they tried to live with it? kept it in plastic boxes under the bed, colored it, cut circles and squares out of it? What if I were the father of a million particles of paper? What if I inseminated a paper mill and the whole valley were flooded in papery pulp? What if I drank the pulp? 
What if it stimulated my melatonin? What if I fell asleep under a blanket of pulp? What if, when I woke up, a dove flew from my mouth? What if I captured the dove and sewed him into the quilt? What if I covered my children with the quilt? Would they stay warm? Would they dream of the papery dove? Would they know the dove was their father flying through their heads? Thank you. Uh, I love that poem. So let's, uh, I'd love to talk about that. So that seems to kind of pick up on on uh, on the swirling nest at home and, uh, and 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 also parenting as a as a father <laughs> as, as a father myself. You know, um, that poem has a number of associations for me. I mean, on, on one hand, it's, it's it's kind of lovely images: the dove and the paper, and and also this kind of uh, relationship to the hospitals and other people that take care of your your children. Um, it 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 also seems, and this is just you know my reactions and how I'm feeling about it, but also the idea of of kind of new realities that your children lead you into. You know uh, things mm-hmm. that they yeah. say, which are which which you know writers, poets, artists love. They say these things that are incredibly odd and often poignant and spot on. Um, uh, but but that's, that's what I gathered from it. Um, is, is is that part of what's happening there, or or do you yeah, want to add yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. I I feel like that's all all totally relevant. I mean, right? So much of the anxiety of parenting is like, what's everyone else going to think about how I'm parenting? <laughs> and uh, the feeling of like constantly second guessing yourself. I think that's maybe why it's all in the, the part of the you know part of the sort of formal. Uh, trick I was playing on myself was like, how many poems can I write that are just composed of questions? And um, ultimately, there's only two poems like that in the book, thank God. Uh, but, I, but it was sort of a, a little game I was playing, like, how many poems can I write just, just using questions? But I feel like that's related to that, to that experience of parenting, especially I, I don't, I, I, I struggle with, with being a parent because I never thought I'd be a, a parent or a good parent. Um, and so I feel like there's that, that tendency to just second guess everything <laughs> just question second guess everything you're doing uh, with the kids. yeah well i think you have a lot of company there whether you thought you would be a good tenor a parent or not we all second guess everything because there's no guidebook or, or the guidebooks there are uh, we really leave out all the details and um and i and i think there is something you know specifically with you know creative people uh, parenting children that I mean maybe not just creative people but others where you you kind of almost want to take the child's lead in, in in some things that may seem um, you know suspect to other people as you're saying you know because what are other people going to think and, and you don't want to think about that because that's just what you don't want your child to be kind of bound by yet you know uh, there we <laughs> there we are you know. Um, I, I remember reading, Absolutely. and this got a tremendous amount of response in the New York Times. It was about a, a parent. It was, it was when my son was about four years old, and and the guy was talking about um, parenting while while stoned, you know, while using presumably. You know, <laughs> and, and, and so he said, he said, you know, he said, you know, I'm a writer. I write for the Times occasionally. You know, I'm, I'm also a parent, and and so. Um, 
and he says, you know, try not, try not to, to mix up, you know, using cannabis. But he said, you know, um, he said, you know, here's an example. You know, my child says to me, you know, how do I make a, a large cue? I, I don't understand. And, and I say, look, I'm, I'm busy writing on something. Uh, could, could you ask your, your, your mother? Then he says, as opposed to, I'm, I'm stoned. How do you make a cue? Oh, let me show you. I jump down on the floor. I grab her pen. Wow, this is an amazing pen. And then I draw the circle. I say, it's like a rabbit jumping through. You see the rabbit? Wow, that is the coolest, isn't it? The rabbit jumps through the oh, you know. And so, you know, of course, the people were, were kind of, you know, uh, really alarmed in the in, in, in the comments, you know. <laughs> right. He was saying like how how he had this incredibly engaging experience with his child that he never would have had otherwise. He was being playful, and yet it's just the kind of thing that everybody thought the worst of. You know. Um, yeah, yeah. It forces us to tap into that that part of ourselves. Uh, whether we, we need to get there through cannabis or otherwise, where you just kind of release a little bit. I, I love it. Right. So let's hear another poem. I'd love to hear another one from, um, from your book. All right, all right. Um, I was thinking of reading this one, Homer Simpson at Key West, which is a, which is a kind of, a, I don't know, it's not quite a parody, but it's a, it's a mashup. I think of it as a mashup of uh, Wallace Stevens, one of my favorite poems, uh, the idea of order at Key West uh, with, uh, you know, the Simpsons. So, so sort of thinking about two not-so-great fathers <laughs> uh, in, that, in that context. So I'll read this one. It's a little longer. Homer Simpson at Key West. Egg-eyed Homer Simpson gestures toward the sea. Each hand lacks one finger, for the artist's psychic wounds have manifested themselves in mimetic truncations. Homer thinks the fluttering in his stomach is one of hunger's many waves, but it's merely the off-screen artist's urge to reshape the emblazoned zone, that tilting nest wherein sound and image embellish the offspring, their empty sleeves and inhuman cries in acutely colored gullies. And although flowers grow all around Springfield, the nuclear plant dumps tons of sludge in the dark gray river where the mutated fish blow vast thought bubbles straight into the filthy water supply pipes. That delicate death rattler, Mr. Burns, has appropriated many sectors of the city's wild space. And even amid the rare botany, Homer's stomach is legendary. Once he ate 64 slices of American cheese during a sleepless night. But today, the crooked frigate bird he spots on the horizon zigzags like a caretaker's maze. I mean, the parents' conflicted feelings of boredom and responsibility, which even Homer feels. So... When you sing to your baby, you are merely shuffling the gasping wind and the sea and the birds' elongated warbles, which we swore we heard at precisely the same time each morning a moment before dawn. Now Homer hears nothing, not the grinding water, not the heaving sky. His ear holes are small, whale-like, 
and he fears his sleep's wavy information. He drinks another duff, this one pouring straight into his mouth in a rapid column from at least six inches over his head, as if some sprite had lifted the can and tilted it at the perfect angle. But of course, it is his son, Bart, whose yellow body is the spirit of impish world-making that infuriates Homer. His wandering from hour to hour in the summer without end means that even the theatrical distances of each digesting hamburger might rekindle Marge's magic blue hair, might make the speech acutest song, might enchant the night, that thread between the indifferent, overweight father and his children whose keen laughter deepens the sea's color and demarcates the irony of the desire to steal a fishing boat and set out to return the fish that will become the coins that will buy the family bread. Uh, that's a, that's a great poem, and of course, very different. And you know, um, oddly <laughs> enough, about being a parent as well, uh, being a, uh, a father, the full circle. That's one of the struggles yeah. of of fatherhood, right? Is that um, as as like many cultural critics have, have talked about, like our models are so are so flawed. Um, you know, the 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 sort of TV dad, the bumbling TV dad, is such a you know, such a sore spot in some ways. Um, but uh, but I also wanted to see what I could do with that kind of pop sense of I, one of my favorite poets is John Ashbery, and I and I often use his um, his his Popeye Sestina and 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 his uh, Daffy Duck in Hollywood, and so I wanted to I just wanted to try to get the the kind of I, I tend to not do much with pop the pop world, and I wanted to see what I could do with with the, the pop world of, of, of my Gen X era, you know, so, so Homer is always a, <laughs> a popular go-to source for me. Uh, I like that. Do you ever read a, a poem like that to your children? Um, wow, I don't know. I, you mean my poem or the Ashbury poems or both? Your poem, your poem, yeah. I mean, I just, you know, because, of course, you know, kids <laughs> react to things in different ways and, and uh, you know, it, it, yeah. be curious to what, what they think. But, but, no, these aren't poems you'd read to them. Yeah, you know I should. My son, who's now twelve, is is quite um, smitten with The Simpsons. So uh, I think I I think that's I think that's a great idea. I, I tend to read them stuff like Lorca, some of Lorca's shorter poems and and uh, things like that. But that's, that's a great idea. <laughs> well, thank you for that one. I'd I'd love to hear one more poem if you have another one here there before we go. All right, this one's this one's slightly different. Picks up on the. Uh, comments I was making about commuting in a way. <laughs> I'm a bicyclist, and uh, bicyclists have a kind of complicated relationship with stop signs, so I wrote a poem that has this kind of stop sign motif in it. Uh, this is called Stopped in Air. I gulp for air, but I have swallowed a stop sign, so my chest cavity expands, my ribcage swells, there is a stop sign in my lungs, and its essence enters my blood, my veins, my tongue, my ears redden, my heart throbs with dark red inhibition. And when I exhale, the stop sign spreads white-tipped wings into the air. It is more potent than any contagion. I'll be quarantined in a glass box where I'll have to wear a plastic stop sign warped over my face, and the new polyethylene compounds will plug up my nose 
and I'll be tortured with a flaming stop sign. They'll hold it over my mouth until my gums vibrate and my teeth melt. They'll tape my eyes shut so I can only see one indivisible stop sign hovering over the planet with liberty and justice for all, and they'll lob stop signs down on any detractors. I can hear them booming as I type a text message, and it is a stop sign, and I pick up my son, and he is a stop sign, and I call my parents, and they tell me the yard is a bright green swamp of octagons. Dad can't go to work because a stop sign spewed red acid on all the machines. I pick up to leave the city, but the drawbridge is closed, with clogged with the bloody air of stop signs. A feather takes flight from beneath my boot. Even the dead bird was a stop sign. Thank you. Um, that's that's so interesting, right? The 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 biker's point of view, right? Without without saying it, yeah, there's a, there's a whole different perspective in moving around a city and, and how you relate to the traffic and and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too many stop signs. It's drives you crazy. There's this constant. Uh, there's this constant. Uh, do I or don't I going through through a cyclist head? Do I do I stop or not? Do I slow down or not? I mean, I tend to I tend to be a pretty uh, pretty cautious, uh, respectful cyclist, but uh, others just blow by them, you know. So. <laughs> Right, right. Well, um, well. thanks so much for reading those. I really appreciate that. And I want to ask you one more question, which is, what are you reading at the moment? Well, um, yeah, I'm always reading tons of stuff. I'm, I'm currently, so like my nighttime, bedtime reading is always like a, a work of fiction, almost always. And I'm, I'm rereading one of my favorite novels right now, uh, which is Wuthering Heights, a book I've read mm-hmm. probably a half dozen times, but uh, always... Always, is, is, there's something new to discover in that book. Um, and then I'm reading a bunch of a bunch of work, you know, for classes I'm teaching, um, using a, a book by the the poet Will Alexander this fall, a uh, book of his his kind of uh, surreal aphorisms called Across the Vapor Gulf. So I've been kind of uh, engulfed in that, so to speak. Uh, a couple things I'm working working through. Well, Nathan, thanks so much. There'll be links here so listeners can purchase the book. And Nathan, I want to thank you so much for your time and your writing. Um, and wish you well with uh, the launch of this book. Thank you. Thanks, Brannard. It's uh, flattering to, to be asked and uh, really happy to do it. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.